If you have a Bible, if you'd like to turn to Jonah chapter 3, if does anyone uh, not have a Bible and like one, you just put your hand up if you'd like to follow along with us. If there's anyone oh, over there. Uh, yeah, if you, everyone wants to turn to Jonah chapter 3, we'll, we'll go there together here in a moment. Uh, we're in Jonah chapter 3 today, chapter 4 uh, next week, and then moving into kind of a summer series looking in 1 Kings at the life of Elijah. I'm excited to go there. So today we'll be talking about uh, God's surprisingly great mercy. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, I hope you've heard stories, I hope many stories, that you're like, I can't believe God saved that person. And I, and I hope maybe that's maybe even your story. Like, I can't believe God saved me. God's surprisingly great mercy. If you just think of how God works, just a few people from the Old Testament, you think of Abraham that God called from Ur of Chaldees, lower uh, modern-day Iraq. He was a worshiper of the sun god Ur, and God's like, hey, I'm going to grab you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to make people from you. And then following the line from Abraham, Isaac, and then you got Jacob, there's Esau and Jacob, and Jacob was like a bit of a cheat. Uh, he, he was a bit of a hustler. He, you know, he couldn't be trusted. He was conniving, yet God's like, actually, from you, I'm going to bring 12 tribes. God's surprisingly great mercy. Out of the 12 sons that Jacob had, uh, God chose Judah. And Judah in the Bible is not a good person. Sexual immorality, again, lying and, and just deceit. And God's like, actually, from This person, I'm going to bring the line that's going to bring the Messiah. From Judah, we know in the Bible, just one more person, we know David. David, known in the scripture, a a man after God's own heart. And David, we know he committed adultery, uh, deceit, and murder. God's surprisingly great mercy. That's the, the God that we serve, that we see in the scriptures, that we've worshipped here this morning, and I pray you're going to be surprised again this morning at how God moves. I pray also in this passage we're going to see kind of a pattern of how to seek God, a pattern of how to go before the Lord, and surprisingly enough it's an example from the Ninevites. We're going to learn a little bit more about them if you haven't heard that term before. But then also an example of how to seek God. I think an example for how do we pray for Canada. An example, how do we pray uh, for ourselves as well. I pray that the Lord would do that in us this morning. If you want to stand with me, we're going to read Jonah chapter 3 together. We just stand just to honor God's word. Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent, and turn from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. As we continue to go into God's word this morning, I'm just going to go before God again in prayer, if you want to bow with me. Uh, 
Oh Lord, what a joy it has been already to sing songs to you, uh, to read your scriptures, Lord. And I pray as we, as I speak your word here this morning, Lord, that you would speak through me. I pray you would give us open ears and open hearts to what you'd have to teach us. I pray, uh, Lord, you would give me courage, you would give me clarity. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me, Lord. Make the name of Jesus Christ known. Lift up the name of God. May we see more clearly than anything else how you're so merciful and kind. Oh, Lord, but only you can do that. So, Lord, allow us to hear your word, and by your spirit, Lord, pierce our hearts, transform our lives. So use this time now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just jumping into Jonah chapter 3. Of course, what followed, Jonah chapter 1 and 2, that was like a really cheesy joke, but I love that no one even, okay, thank you, appreciate that. <laughs> but Jonah chapter 1 and 2, right, if, you, if you've grown up any time in the church, you know the story, Jonah, hey, here's, here's your calling, here's what you're supposed to do, go to Nineveh, you have a word to share, Nineveh's this way, Jonah goes that way, he's like, I'm going to flee from the presence of the Lord, and then because of that, Jonah, uh, God sends this huge storm, upon uh, the sea, because Jonah goes in a ship, he's going to flee to Tarshish, and it, during the storm, uh, it's very clear that it's because of Jonah's disobedience that this is happening. He convinces the sailors, I throw me overboard, the waves will stop. The sailors actually have some sort of an encounter with the living God. They start calling on the Lord. But then Jonah, he's swallowed by this great fish. God spares his life, and while he's in the great fish, Jonah chapter 2, he writes this psalm, this song, uh, well, I think after the fact, recounting of what happened, he went down to the depths, he almost died. God rescued him by this great fish, and the fish spit him back out upon the shore. That's where we pick up in Jonah chapter 3. That Jonah, in all that he did, in all the places he went, he kind of ended back in the same spot. Disobedience to God gets you nowhere. A lot of things get destroyed. You don't progress. So Jonah, he's kind of ending up back in the same spot again. I want us to see in chapters, or verses 1 to 4, chapter 3, obedience is the answer to disobedience. Obedience is the answer to disobedience. Look at verse 1. So he's back on dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call it against it the message that I tell you. Just, you, I don't think we get it, that how amazing it is that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Because prophets, primarily because of their role, because of their proximity to God, it's like obedience, period. We have stories of prophets in the Old Testament. There's one in 1 Kings chapter 13. He was called to go proclaim a message and then don't go back this way. Or don't stop. Don't, don't meet with anyone. And he does. And he dies. And we see prophets who are like, hey, they're, they're going to say their own word. They're going to go their own way. And it costs them their life. So it's like God's great mercy that Jonah gets the word of the Lord a second time. Somehow he doesn't die in the sea. He gets rescued by this great fish. And he ends up back on the shore. And we don't know the, the time limit. We don't know if it was immediately or if even time passed. But the word of the Lord again came to Jonah. That's God's mercy. You think of just even the, the New Testament, think of people who maybe disobeyed God or went astray from him. I think of Peter, right? The apostle Peter, who, who was with Jesus, you know, three and a half years and had followed him. And, you know, he made the claim, hey, if everyone else leaves you, I'll stay with you, right? And we know that on the night of, of Jesus, uh, when he was um, being taken into like the Sanhedrin, that what did Peter do? He denied even knowing Jesus three times. Not, not, maybe not this disobedience, but in terms of like, he totally turned his back on God, turned his back on Jesus at the, the darkest hour. What does God do? He restores him. He forgives him. I want us to see that even just God's mercy, that the word came back to Jonah a second time. It's, it's, it's actually quite amazing. And what is the word that is given to him in verse 2? Arise, go to Nineveh. That great city, call it against it, the message that I tell you. Very similar to the word that came to him the first time in Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. There's a little bit of a change. It's the last part. In, in, in Jonah, the first time it came, 
God said this, call out against it, that great city, for their evil has come up before me. The first time was like, hey, there's this message against Nineveh, the wickedness of Nineveh. The second time now to Jonah, the last thing that's highlighted is go to that great city, call out against it the message that I tell you. First time the message was more towards, hey, Jonah, it's towards Nineveh, this is it. The second time it's like, hey, Jonah, say everything I tell you. This is the second time, like, don't, don't add anything, don't take away anything. Almost actually a rebuke to the prophet. But again, there's this great mercy given to Jonah, even getting the word a second time. And I hope you can see it. That's actually, I think, the theme running all through Jonah. Don't get distracted by the great fish. Don't get distracted by the rebellious prophet. Just see God's mercy ever-increasing. So verse 3, continuing, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Amazing. It doesn't, doesn't record, like, just for the sake of the story, it doesn't record the almost like thousand kilometer journey. We don't know actually where he was when he came upon the dry land, but there's this long journey. It's not recorded. Just Jonah went to Nineveh. He was obedient. Again, obedience is a solution to disobedience. Just quite simply, right? It's like, say, you know God's calling you to go somewhere to do something, and you're like, okay, hey, no, I'm not going to. You're like, hey, Lord, forgive me. Lord, hey, Lord, forgive me. Lord, there's these things, and you kind of keep going. The true solution is like, okay, Lord, forgive me. And you start going in obedience. Obedience is the answer to disobedience. So Jonah, he finally goes to Nineveh. He goes to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. It says, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. It says, it's referred to in, the, in this passage, or in Jonah, three times as a great city. And what does that mean? Maybe it's like the prominence of the city within the, the ancient world at that time, around maybe 760 B.C. It actually wasn't yet the capital of Assyria, but maybe the prominence, because it, as we learned earlier in Jonah chapter 1, it was kind of on the middle of these trade routes, so it was rich because of that. Maybe it was because the number of people that were found in this city that's a great city. We see in Jonah chapter 4, there's 120,000 who don't know their left hand to, from their right. Maybe that's talking about babies. Maybe like there's a massive population. It could also be just talking about in God's eyes. This is, this is a great city. They deserve to hear this message of mercy. We don't know, but it's said over and over again. Nineveh, this great city, it says of this city, it would take three days' journey uh, to get through. And you th- like, what does that mean, three days' journey? I don't, I've never been maybe to a city that big, but if we think about it, maybe it could be, is it one day to enter, one day to be there, one day to leave? Or is it about maybe the mission that Jonah is called to as he is sharing the word? It's going to take three days to work your way through sharing with everyone. Uh, we don't know. We don't know, but it's highlighted for it. But again, just see this. Jonah, a prophet of Israel, sent to Nineveh, Israel's enemies. Like, don't miss that. Again, like, where is Nineveh? It's like in modern-day Turkey. The Assyrians in the Bible were known as bad people, (laughs) wicked people. The Assyrians were actually famous for how they pillaged how when, when they would go and take areas, how they decapitated or mutilate or maim or impale their victims. Like that's what they were famous for in the ancient world. So it's actually so shocking that God would send a prophet from Israel to Nineveh. And it's hard for us to grasp that, but in that, that a prophet from Israel sent to Nineveh, again, that's God's surprisingly great mercy. But again, we, we see this all throughout the Bible. In Jesus' day, who does he go to? Again, he goes to tax collectors. Still hated today. Someone pointed out to me. <laughs> Prostitutes. He even has a part of the 12 apostles, a zealot. Like a political zealot. Like someone who is going to do like terrorist-type things. Simon the zealot is one of his apostles. I think when he started following Jesus, he wasn't doing that anymore after. But you think, like, those are the people that Jesus went around. And just one story, you could take many, 
It's amazing of who God goes to with the message of his great mercy. I read this uh, great story. I think this is worthy of writing down and reading. It's the autobiography of John G. Patton. Autobiography of John G. Patton. He was a missionary in the 1800s to a place like the New Hebrides. I don't know if it's like the Polynesian Islands. I could be getting that wrong. But in the South Pacific, he felt burdened and called to go to these, this, like, this group of like 30 islands who didn't have any gospel witness, who were full of cannibals and savages. And he's like, they, they need to hear God's mercy too. And the story is an unbelievable one of, of him going and him sharing and, and them literally wanting to devour him. And yet some, some believing, some coming to Christ. And he even has this quote of like one chief who becomes a believer, a cannibal. Faith in Jesus Christ. And he says this about this guy when he dies. Thus died a man who had been a cannibal chief, but by the grace of God and the love of Jesus, changed, transfigured into a character of light and beauty. God's surprisingly great mercy. There's no one who's like, no, you're too far. And God goes to the ones who are the farthest. Say, yes, my mercy is for you. And so we see that in Jonah going to Nineveh. Mercy for them. There's there's mercy for us too. Continuing on in in verse 4, his obedience to the call. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He went in a day's journey. It's highlighting Jonah hadn't maybe went to the center of the city yet before he starts proclaiming his message. He was being obedient to it. And and makes makes you wonder as you read the story, maybe he, he... started to share this message, but he didn't continue. He didn't share it everywhere. Because we look in verse 6, the king had heard about the message from other people. But either way, so he started, he started sharing this message, going about into the town, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Anyone who's a, who's a student of the Bible, I think anytime you see the number 40, 40 days, you should like underline like what's going on there. Because we see it so often seeming to mark a significant spiritual event or, or a significant change, right? We have, it, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights when the flood came upon the earth. When, when the Israelites were going to go into the promised land, they sent 12 spies and they were in the land for 40 days and 40 nights. When Moses was on the mountain to receive the, the Ten Commandments, 40 days and 40 nights, we even have Jesus in the New Testament. He was tempted for, for 40 days and 40 nights. So there's something significant about that number 40. That something's happening. There's this huge event that's about to take place. And what does he say? Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And we're like, okay, that's not too strong of a, of a word. But that same word, overthrown, is used in Genesis uh, 19.25 to, re- to refer to what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah how the cities were overthrown, right? Like huge hailstones of fire came down and destroyed that, that place. It was overthrown. So it's like this, this massive destruction that's being called upon this city, yet 40 days. Like, it, was that his only message? Maybe that was it. Maybe that was his sentence. And all God's people said, amen. Like, that's a, that's a short word. <laughs> Just... Just one sentence packed in. And, and it's amazing as we look at what happened to that one word, the reaction from people. Maybe he had more to say, but people just reacted immediately to what he had to say. It reacted to the warning. There's these pagan people. See this, though. They got a word from God, delivered them from a prophet who had been given mercy of a second chance. That's another thing in that we see highlighted you see God's great mercy, but we see Jonah's selfish focus on himself. We'll see that in chapter 4, how he kind of, he gets mad at what happens when Jonah's the one who was rescued by the great fish. Jonah's the one who was disobedient, yet God's word came to him a second time. But we see obedience is the answer to disobedience here. In verses 5 to 9, I want us to look at the example of the Ninevites. And as, as, as we kind of go through this chapter, it's really interesting. It's like Jonah 
is not mentioned. He, he kind of he fades in the background. His job is done. He proclaimed the word, and now the focus is on the Ninevites and then the king. And I want us to see as we read through, there's this pattern. There's this pattern of seeking God or going to God in sin that we see here that the Ninevites lay out for us. So verse 5, I want us to see need to be seeking God in brokenness. Look at verse 5 with me. And the people of Nineveh believed God. Amazing. The people of Nineveh believed God. So it's like, did he just share, share that one word? And they're like, yeah, okay, destruction's coming. And they, they believed God. And it says they, they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Like everyone was just immediately affected by this. The people of Nineveh believed God. Throughout the book of Jonah, just something to, to note, all throughout, uh, before this, mostly it's been using Lord, Yahweh. And, I, and all of a sudden it changes to God, Elohim, kind of interchangeable within Scripture, but the Lord, Yahweh, specifically for the people of God, Israel. Though the sailors in, in chapter 1 use that. But maybe just Jonah, as he was speaking to them, maybe didn't use that name for God. He used Elohim. So they're calling on what they knew. They're calling on God. They're seeking God in their brokenness. Why did they maybe react so fast? There's a few uh, thoughts that people have. Maybe God had prepared the way for this message. So people researching history and things that have happened, they're looking at Assyrian culture where some things may be laid out ahead of time. Like there could have been an invasion of land by an enemy causing them to be more sensitive to what would be brought in front of them. Well, they were. They were constantly being invaded by different armies. Maybe, maybe there was like a solar eclipse or something happened. Well, actually, apparently, June 15, 763 B.C., there was a, a solar eclipse that happened during this one guy's reign. And so maybe they're like, they're like, something's happening. And they're also maybe in a time of like famine and pestilence. So they were like, they were ready for, for Jonah to come. God had actually prepared the way. I think that could be happening. We're kind of grabbing history and putting it in around what happened. But immediately, the people of Nineveh believe God. And I don't, I don't know if we get how shocking that statement is still. Like, the people of Nineveh. And that's what's so shocking about the, the book of Jonah. Jonah, the prophet of the Lord from Israel, God's like, hey, I have a word for you. Go this direction. He goes that direction. And then he ends up on this ship with these pagan sailors. And they're, they're like, hey, Jonah, call on the name of, of your God. He's like, no. The sailors end up calling on the name of the Lord. Like, it's shocking. And, and then, finally, the prophet, who's, he finally begrudgingly, in a sense, goes to Nineveh. They hear the word of God, and immediately, they believe God. Irony of irony, right? The pagans believe God at his word where Jonah hadn't. It's actually highlighted in the Old Testament. The same thing, Psalm 78, 21 to 22 Speaking of God, it says his anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. Amazing. The Ninevites were broken over their sin. They showed their inward brokenness by their outward acts. So we have to seek God in brokenness because what do they do? They fasted and they put on sackcloth. We'll talk about that. That was a common way for the ancients to kind of show their repentance. What is fasting? We see fasting in a number of places over and over again in the Bible. People facing trials of many kinds. Fasting is like not eating food. Could be drinking water. Could be not drinking water. To seek God. To ask for help. You see it in the book of Esther. When, we, when this plan is made to destroy the Jews... And then, and then they, like, they call a fast. Everyone starts fasting over and over again in the Bible when there's like some sort of calamity, some sort of problem. Hey, let's fast. Fast to pray, to focus on God because he's the only one who can deal with the problem at hand. Fast and then put on sackcloth. We, maybe you're not as familiar with that. Donald Wiseman, one commentator, notes this. The sackcloth used was a, a thick, coarse cloth, normally made from goat's hair to wear. It symbolized the rejection of earthly comforts and pleasure. And so we don't 
in our day and age, I don't know if anyone's ever been broken and put on sackcloth before. Not something we do here, but culturally in their time, if you were broken, like that's, that's what you do. You would take this garment and throw it on you to show people that you were broken. Doing an outward act, but really to show inwardly that they were. This inward brokenness, it lines up with what uh, Pastor Robbie Simons was sharing with us a few weeks ago, if you're with us. In Isaiah 66, verse 2, it says this, God speaking, This is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word, like someone who is broken in spirit. That's what the Ninevites were. They hear the word, hey, this calamity is coming immediately, fast, put on sackcloth. But again, so of course, in our day and age, just thinking, what do we do? <laughs> How do we show our brokenness? We're going to talk about that here more in a second. But one thing we can, we can take here, like fasting. Fasting and praying. When we face trials... Of any kind, I don't know how many of you like, have ever fasted before. It's something I want to continue to grow in. When I'm talking about fasting, I mean like some calamity, some trial, something's happened. And like, I, I don't know what to do. This is out of my control. So you don't eat food. And during that time that you normally eat, you go and pray. You could take your scripture, you could maybe grab some psalms, and you could read and pray the psalms back to the Lord. But fasting and praying, it's just like uh, stopping from eating, stopping from a physical necessity to kind of like throw yourself on God more spiritually. I think it's something I need to grow and I'd love to see us all growing. But we want to seek God in brokenness. Looking at the next verse, we want to seek God in humility. I think brokenness and humility are really tied together. It really overlaps. But we see first the, the kind of the reaction of the people from the greatest of them to the least, they did this. In verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh. So it, it doesn't seem like he heard Jonah's word, but the word reached him. And when it did, he arose from his throne, he removed his robe, he covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. Just notice it doesn't say the, the king of Assyria. It says the king of Nineveh, actually again just showing that God's actually the one who's in control of all things, of all places. But as we look at what the, the king of Nineveh did, he kind of has these four steps towards humility. The king who's on the throne, he hears these words, and he arose from his throne. He removed himself from his place of authority because he was humbled. He knew like he's not the one who could affect change. So he rose from his place of authority. He removed his robe. He covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Like just, again, so just going from a place of authority, and then with his clothing, with his body position, going to a place of humility. We just got to think about that for a second. What does humility look like in our time? When we're humbled, again, we don't have sackcloth. I don't think anyone does to put on. But what does it look like if we're like, we're broken, and we're humble, and we want to show that before the Lord. Just, I was just thinking a few things. Like, One, I think it's our, our physical posture. Maybe it's going on our knees. You know, if we're really broken, really humble, we want to maybe physically be in that posture. I imagine our dress is going to change, right? If you're humble, if you're broken, you're maybe not dressed up. Like, like you're ready to go out for the night. Maybe you're going to have a different dress on. You're probably going to talk less. For sure, like in those odd, rare moments, probably turn our phones off. Like if we're really broken and humble, we're like, man, I don't care who's calling or who's texting. I want to meet with God. Maybe we need more moments of that where we turn that, that device off. I think if we're humble, if we're broken, actually we'll slow down. Our, our lives are so quick and so fast. I, don't, I think you say, hey, I'm so broken, but I got this appointment to get to, and I got this thing to do, and I got to talk to this person. I think if you're broken and you're humble before the Lord, it's like, stop everything. I don't care what else is going on. I have to meet with God. 
That's what we see the king of Nineveh do. So we need to seek God in brokenness, in humility. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So again, if we want to seek God, we're not going like, hey, stand up straight, I got everything together. We're like, okay, I'm going to go lower. I'm going to change my posture, I'm going to change my tone. We're following the example here of the, the king of Nineveh. Continues on in his kind of, his humility before the Lord. Verses 7 to 8, I want us to see, we need to see God in repentance. The king of Nineveh, in reaction, he's on the ground in sackcloth and ashes. Verse 7, it says, he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Amazing what is happening. And it's kind of like shocking to us. Like, okay, he makes this decree. Well, the king of Nineveh or king of Assyria would actually kind of be the one in, in, uh, in charge of all the religious undertakings. He would also be kind of seen as like the head priest. So though this thing already happened without him, as he's saying, yeah, everyone is called to this, he's making it official. He has the ability to do that, but not just for everyone to seek the Lord. We see here he includes the beasts, the herd, the flocks. It's actually a little bit shocking to us uh, to see that happen. Douglas Stewart notes this, the reference to the involvement of animals in the appeal to God mentioned in the royal decree is certainly not funny. It's the language of severity. It demonstrates the urgency of the situation in Nineveh. Like they actually had this fear of God, like, wow, we're, we're going to be destroyed. Like, do everything you possibly can. Man, woman, child, beast, we're not going to eat, we're not going to drink. Do what we can. We also have this going on, though, in the book of, of Jonah. It's interesting that the animals are obedient where the people aren't, particularly Jonah. God appointed a fish, a great fish, to swallow them. The fish was obedient. The animals are repentant. We see in chapter 4, God appoints a plant to grow and destroys it. The, even the plant is obedient. So that's also being highlighted. The rest of creation is being obedient. God hurls a great wind. The, the weather's obedient. Like, what about Jonah? So again, that's also being highlighted through this, this calling to the animals to not eat or drink. And what does the, the king say to the people in verse 8? And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. They are to call out mightily, earnestly, with force, with vigor to God. You know, it wasn't like a one time, like, hey, God, have, have mercy. What, like, what do you picture? Call out mightily. Like, they're just, they're crying out, like, over and over again, Lord, may you spare us. May you have mercy on us. To call out mightily to, to God. I think that they're doing what is called upon us in Psalm 130, verse 1. The psalmist said, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. It's so interesting, these, again, these Ninevites who, who don't know the Lord, the Ninevite king, using this language that sounds a lot like other parts we find in the Bible. Like uh, Lindsay Taylor was with us a number of weeks ago. He shared from 2 Chronicles 7.14. Sounds so, so similar. Again, the Ninevite king, he says, everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that's in his hands. 2 Chronicles 7.14, given to the people of Israel, it says this, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. It's like there's this calling on Israel to do that. That's why it's so surprising. It's the people in Nineveh who so quickly are, are walking in it. Something similar is also said in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 55, 6 to 7, I'll just read that for us. Isaiah 55, verses 6 to 7. Isaiah writes this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. 
Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. This is call to repentance. Right? Repentance. That's what God seeks. It's a turning away from things that are not pleasing to him and a turning toward him. That's how we need to seek God. We need to seek him with repentance, like continually. Anytime as we walk in sin, we walk in disobedience, we need to confess it and turn back. Whatever it is, it could be like, hey, maybe we're walking in anger. We need to confess that. Lord, help me to walk in kindness and self-control. Maybe maybe we uh, have a a problem with our eyes, the things we put in front of them. We need to confess that to the Lord. Lord, help me fix my eyes on things that are beautiful, things that are pleasing to you. Maybe we have a problem with hoarding. We just want more and more. We just want to bring it in. Lord, we confess that to him. Repent and like, hey God, help me to maybe more freely give, maybe be just more uh, able to share with others. Maybe all of us, we can have a problem maybe like just being selfish. I'm focused on myself. It's just I don't care about anyone else. We can confess that, that repentance, Lord. Help me to see others. Help me to see others' needs and help to, to meet them. We need to seek the Lord with repentance. I love this. I love this because he's not, he, everyone is outwardly already fasting. They got their sackcloth on. They're broken. But he's also, he's saying, okay, yes, we have this outward act already, but inwardly, we need to ask for forgiveness. Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that is in his hands. We need an inward change to match outwardly what we're displaying. And as believers, we need to continually ask God, okay, I I know what I should be living. Help me by your spirit. Continue to walk it out. Lord, help me. Again, I just want to highlight one more thing in this verse. As, he, as they're to call out mightily to God. I just love that phrase, call out mightily to God. As a church, that's, we want to be about one of our distinctives, fervent prayer. And I'm like, I think that describes it well. Call out mightily to God. And I'll, I'll be the first to confess, like, I need to grow abundantly in that area. I need to grow in my ability to call out mightily to God. And I want to. I'm going to continue to seek him. But one of the ways, if you're like, man, I struggle with prayer, I struggle to just maybe come together before the Lord, uh, again, come to that prayer meeting. Sometimes like, hey, personally, like it's hard for me to pray, then go and gather with other people who are praying, and you hear them pray, and you're just encouraged, like, okay. It helps you grow in your ability to call out mightily to the Lord. So that's the call from the Ninevite king, and he says this in verse 9, Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so we may not perish. Like it's worth a, t- it's worth a, ter- a time, sorry, worth a try. God may turn, it's in his hands. Like I lo- they're like, he's like, I don't, I don't have anything. But we're throwing ourselves in front of the one who has everything and who can make a change. Maybe he will forgive us. Again, catch this, it's the king of Nineveh who is leading the people spiritually to fast and pray before God. Like, it's, it's actually so shocking. And ironically, the people of God were in turn and in time crushed by the Assyrians for not doing this. But the people of Nineveh, just in this, in this snippet of time, like destruction's coming and they re- seemingly repent and turn to God. As the, as the time goes on in the Bible, uh, the people of Israel weren't trusting God, weren't repenting, and God used the Assyrians to go and wipe them out. I just want to read that for you. Out of uh, 2 Kings 17, 6-12, it says this, In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captures Samaria. That's the capital of Israel. And he carried away the, Arisa, the Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in Hala and on the Habor, the river of Gozan and the cities of the Medes. And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods. 
And the list goes on and on. They did not trust God. They served other gods. They didn't repent of their sins, even when God sent prophet after prophet. And God used the Assyrians to come and to crush them. But this amazing thing, going back to Jonah, they just throw themselves on the Lord upon his mercy. In verse 10, we see God's exceedingly great mercy. And again, I'd say God's surprisingly great mercy because it's on the enemies of Israel. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Like, it's so amazing. They turned from their wicked ways, and in that moment, they didn't have judgment upon them. In that moment, because just like Israel, Israel would have moments of, like, repenting and turning back to God and go back into sin, and God would send other prophets, and eventually, again, Assyrians were used to wipe them out. The Assyrians, just for that moment that we have recorded here in Jonah, turned and repented. They did not stay that way. We know that they were crushed by the Babylonians in 612 uh, B.C. If you want to read another uh, minor prophet, read the book of Nahum. It talks about the judgment to come upon the Assyrians. But in this moment, we have God's exceedingly great mercy. And you just think about this. The book of Jonah continues to show how God is sovereign over all. Jonah can't flee from the presence of the Lord. You want to go to Tarshish, the farthest direction over here, God's with you. You want to go over here, God's with you. God's sovereign over all. But wherever God is sovereign, his mercy also reaches that far. That's what I want us to see, like God's mercy is so endless. As it says in the Psalms, his loving kindness like reaches to the heavens. God has mercy on those who are broken, who humble themselves before him, turn from their wicked ways. So we see here in this passage, there's this, a pattern for seeking God. That we would be humble. That we would be broken. That we would repent and seek him. And we can go before him. God is ready to forgive. So I want to see that pattern. But you could say, okay, yeah, we've read this book, Jonah, it happened in the past. Like, so what? It's 2023. What I first want to do is I first want to take and think about what we saw God called the Ninevites to do, and just think in terms of Canada. Again, like think of wicked Nineveh. They heard the response and they repented. Now just think, how can we turn our attention, think about Canada, to pray for Canada. Again, Canada, we know, or maybe you don't, is on a, is on a path towards destruction. The sexual deviation that's happening within our society, drag queen story hour, the killing of babies, the killing of elderly depressed, euthanasia, they just call it made, so it sounds a little bit better. Think of the legalization of marijuana and other drugs in parts of Canada. Friends, I just was, I, I was told about and shown that there's uh, these drug kits that's being handed out in certain universities, in certain places in, in Vancouver, giving people cocaine, heroin. Friends, at a time where we're like, hey, we need to do away with plastic straws. Like, they're illegal. They're hurting everything. But they have plastic straws to sniff cocaine that they're handing out to people. This is the destruction of our country that's happening before our eyes. As a nation, we're in rebellion against God. We're walking into judgment if we're not already in it. What can we do? We can fast and pray. We can fast and pray. I believe Daniel has given us this example in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is reading from the book of Jeremiah. And he realized God had promised that Israel would be exiled for 70 years and they'd come back. So Daniel, he starts, after he's reading scripture, he starts praying. Daniel 9 verse 3, he says this, I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. That's what they did. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him, keeps his commandments. We have sinned, we have done wrong, and acted wickedly. 
wickedly. In verse 6, we have not listened to your servant, the prophets. Even he starts confessing sins for the, the kings and the people. What I want you to see is like Daniel was a righteous man. Daniel prayed three times daily. But he saw God's standard and he saw what other people were doing. He starts confessing that to the Lord. It's not confessing everyone's sin that it would be forgiven, it's, but it's what it would look like. As you're reading, you're like, okay, hey God, I see your holy standard and then I see our society. I see our brokenness. I see how we're just running so far in another direction. Lord, have mercy. Have mercy. You can see it. You see the sins of our nation. You see this confusion between men and women, Lord. Have mercy. Forgive us. We've turned away from, from marriage between a man and a woman. Lord, forgive us. Lord, forgive us how there's such corruption in levels of government. There's such indoctrination in our schools. Lord, forgive us. Lord, have mercy. Even as we're looking outward to our country, Lord, forgive us for our churches, our lack of prayer, our lack of just being hurt and broken over what breaks your heart, Lord. Lord, forgive us for our own confidence in our resources, our plans, our ingenuity, our lack of care for our neighbor. Forgive us for our pulpits that we have not preached your truth. We pointed people towards you without repentance. We told people about the love of God but not the justice of God. Lord, have mercy. We don't know you as we ought. What if we started praying like this? Could God spare Canada? Friends, let's seek him in prayer. There's a window and it's closing. May we fast and pray. I just want to leave you with this. May you, in the weeks to come, may you take one, one meal a day, not one meal a day, sorry, one, one a week, if you can. Set it aside to fast and pray for Canada. Pray for our nation. Maybe God in his kindness will stop the destruction. That's our hope. Maybe we, we can even use what, what the Lord did here in Jonah chapter 9. May you have mercy. Friends, he had mercy on the Ninevites. I think he can have mercy on Canada too. He heard their prayers. Can he not hear our prayers as well? So think about that corporately, but then I just want to bring it, think about this personally. I want you to hear this. I hope you all have that no one is beyond God's mercy. No one is beyond God's mercy. We, we need to know, though, just as, as Jonah, he preached, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Like there was an impending judgment coming. We know for all of us, whatever the time is, there is an impending judgment coming where we'll all stand before God and have to give an account. And we're all running towards that day. But there is mercy. There is mercy to be found through Jesus Christ for anyone who would, who would turn from their wicked ways and seek God's mercy in brokenness and humility. Right, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can. We can come with, man, with our sin covered over my hands, scarred from all the, the wrong things that I've done, but because of Jesus Christ, what he did, we can be forgiven, made clean. No one is beyond God's mercy. I just hope you see that highlighted over and over again, how kind, how gracious the Lord is. And so if someone's here hearing that and they think, well, you don't know what I've done, like, well, God does. And Jesus is a much greater Savior than you are a sinner. You call upon the Lord and he will save you. But friends, even for all of us, that no one's beyond God's mercy. If there's anyone here, you've, you've already trusted in the Lord, but you have some hidden sins, some things that you keep in the dark. I don't, I don't want anyone to find out about this. Our Lord is so kind and so gracious to anyone who would confess their sins to him. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Friends, there's, there's grace to the humble. I just want to remind you again this morning. I know it is hot in here. It's hot up here. <laughs> this, 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 this week that we've been through, if you were some, in some place in a car, there was no AC, and you're just like baking and just melting, and then you went in somewhere, you're like, ah. I want you to see in God's mercy, in his surprisingly great mercy, in his exceedingly great mercy, this, ah. That's our Lord. That's the God we serve. May we take that to heart. May the Lord seal it in our hearts. If you'll bow with me as I close this word in prayer. Oh God, I pray that which is from you seal in our hearts. Oh God, I pray you would have mercy on this country. Forgive us. Lord, we're running so far from you. We're so rebellious. It's so sick. But in your kindness, Lord, would you forgive us? Would you forgive our nation? Would you, would you break us of our pride? Bring us to our knees. Oh, Lord, but have mercy. I thank you that you are so kind and merciful. Oh, Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.